Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. It's Tuesday at 2 USA Eastern Time. This is Hugh Ballou, founder and president of Center Vision Leadership Foundation. We teach leaders to transform themselves, to transform organizations, to transform lives. We create synergy in our teams by being clear on our vision, therefore the, the brand Center Vision. We have a, a very special guest today. Um, she's from down under. It's it's afternoon here, but it's early morning. But she gets up to get a head start on the day. Lisa Coletta, tell people a little bit about who you are and the kind of work you do. Hello, Hugh. Thanks for having me here today. It's great to be here. So, Hugh, I am a corporate governance change leader. And for those of your listeners who may not have heard that term before, I spent a lot of my time going into organizations and working with chairmen and board members and CEOs and managing directors in supporting them in, frankly, cleaning up a lot of the corporate BS, dare I say, that gets embedded into organizations. Um, and I support them in aligning their policies and their frameworks and um, I guess roles and accountabilities um, is the best way to describe it within organizations so they can effectively and efficiently move towards their goals. I've been doing this kind of work for around 25 years now and I formed the Governance Collective um, around four years ago. So um, I've been in this space for quite a while and I've worked with all types of organizations, including not-for-profits. Whoa, whoa. That's a really good term. Now, we um, I've worked with um, leaders in all, all kinds of organizations for 34 years. And, you know, it's pretty much some of the challenges haven't changed, even though the circumstances have changed. And there's some particular deficits in the nonprofit sector. We call it nonprofit, although that word's really a problem because we got to make a profit. So mm -hmm. we hear that word nonprofit, we go into this low functioning scarcity mindset. But the yeah. other one that that really taints our work is what you just referred to is the corporate BS. It's all of this stuff that the corporate leaders try to bring in. It's really dysfunction on a, on a higher level. So what are some of the... Um, some of the highest problems, the most common problems that you see in the culture that a leader needs to be aware of? Oh, look, I, um, I've seen quite a lot, Hugh, to be really frank with you, especially in the not-profit space. Um, I've done some work with non-profit organizations um, where they have really fantastic humans working in their organizations, Hugh. A lot of great humans are attracted to this environment, but I do find that some of them are what I would term amateur enthusiasts, and I don't mean to offend when I say those words. It really is more that there are some beautiful people out there that have a lot of time and a lot of energy and really passionate about the nonprofit environment they're in. However, they just don't have the knowledge, skills, and experience to be able to govern these types of environments effectively. And what tends to happen is that a lot of that corporate BS gets um, applied and implemented by these folks with the very best intentions. They're just 
don't quite have a, an adequate picture around what it is they're applying and whether or not it actually hits the mark for the organisation. So that's one of the main things I see. Um, it's it's actually quite common. Um, great intentions, um, but unfortunately they apply all that corporate BS that the management team then need to navigate around. Yes, yes, yes. So, um, you know, I see a lot of boards that look like, you know, something that's not desirable and there's people on a podcast that can't see it, but our high functioning team, my, my years as a conductor, what I mm -hmm. learned is that the orchestra only, only can perform at the level that the uh, leader is able to lead. And that's true in, in the corporate world. So we have low functioning teams and cultures. That's probably it stems from the leader. Is that correct? Yeah, most, most definitely. So in my experience, um, the tone gets set from the top. And because that tone gets set from the top, the behaviours that the organisation chooses to accept are the ones that are actually demonstrated by the leaders at the top, which happens to be the, typically the board or the senior executive committee or whatever term um, the organisation actually utilises. And it's, it's kind of sad from where I'm sitting only because the intentions are so great. It's just the, the knowledge and the skills and the application of that that tends to get a bit um, off track. Um, and the, what it actually results in, uh, to be really frank with you, Hugh, is that when these well-intentioned leaders put this, uh, these frameworks and these processes and whatever else in place, the people who are living and breathing and trying to navigate through to get things done get incredibly frustrated. And that's where that corporate BS piece kind of plays out. A lot of people have this assumption or um, they assume that the corporate BS is actually the governance. And it's not the governance that's actually the corporate BS. It's the application of governance in those environments that tends to let them down. And so Governance gets a bit of a bad rap, but it's actually not that fair that it is it is seen that way, if you kind of get what I mean. Let's clarify some terms here. Now, yeah. um, I think Winston Churchill used to say that um, Great Britain and America were two countries separated with a by a common language. So um, in Australia, that complicates a little bit more because we have um, different nuances in how, especially in the South, in America, we have our own nuance in addition to that, you know. So in, in nonprofit boards in America, governance is the responsibility of the board, which is approving contracts, approving the strategy, but not running the day-to-day -day activities. Now, the board is, you know, separate from the staff and the executive director. They're also responsible for financial oversight. So give us some context on governance and how it's important in your work. Yeah, look, it's... Um... Governance is fundamentally essential in organisations. And, and as you clearly described there, um, there is a separation of, dare I say, church and state when it comes to that oversighting, the effective over strategic oversighting by the board and the day-to-day -day operations of business. And um, governance is especially important in those non-profit environments where, unfortunately, they don't have enough humans on the ground. They don't have enough people on the ground to be able to have adequate resources in both of those camps, both the strategic camps and the operational camps. And what I do tend to see quite a bit is that those leaders that are on the board environment requiring strategic, the role of strategic oversight, that's what they're there to do, 
tend to get quite operational because they just don't have the people on the ground. That's the first reason. The second reason why it tends to happen is because those leaders are used to playing operationally. They're not used to playing strategically and they don't know what strategic oversight looks like. So when you're conditioned to play a certain way, you tend to land on or lean on your default, which tends to be a lot more operational. And that's where a lot of these boards tend to become unstuck. And that governance piece and that separation, recognising the difference between oversight, which is standing over and, and watching and observing and providing insights as opposed to doing, gets a little bit blurry. I'm sure you've seen it here. It's like me trying to be in front of an orchestra and directing without them having the music. So the strategy is the glue that informs people where they need to be engaged. And I'm surprised, I don't care what kind of organization, I'm surprised at how few leaders understand how to integrate strategy into performance and how essential it is to elevate this ordinary team of really well-meaning individuals to a high-performing team. So what are some of the, you, you talked about some misunderstandings, shall we say, some of the myths that we tell ourselves, either as the corporate structure or the leader. What are some of the prevalent myths that we've been taught or we tell ourselves that really aren't correct and they hurt us? Uh, look, there's a, there's a couple of myths there that we do tell ourselves. Unfortunately, we do let ourselves down. Um, one of the first myths is that um, you may have been a subject matter expert in a, in a certain field for 20, 30 years prior to retirement or prior to you deciding to have a, you know, a career in the directorship environment or on a board. And because you are the subject matter expert and you're used to carrying that, um, dare I say, persona with you, a lot of these individuals get on boards and still assume they are the subject matter expert and therefore the people in the business who are there to do the doing are actually really heavily compressed by you as the subject matter expert on the board strategically oversighting, but really operationally directing. We tend to tell ourselves that because we, we feel it's part of who we are and what we do. Um, and we not sometimes we're not good at creating space for those that are actually there to do the work. I would say often. Often. <laughs> often. In my experience, leaders sometimes get in the way and they don't. You know, there's too many leaders that think they need to have all the right answers when, in fact, they would, should ensure that everybody in the culture that works with them has the right answers. It's a bit different paradigm, isn't it? Oh, look, most definitely. And I think sometimes, um, again, with the very best intentions, leaders forget that they're really there at the most strategic levels to do three things. They're there to coach, they're there to guide, and they're there to lead. But for them to do that, they need to really create space and enable the individuals who are accountable in those roles to actually do what they're there to do. I want to highlight that. You heard it right here. What are those three things, again, that you said leaders are supposed to do? They're supposed to coach, they're supposed to guide, and they're supposed to lead. And when you coach and you guide and you lead, it doesn't mean that you do. <laughs> it's really what it comes down to. There are doers and there are leaders. I'm the other, probably one of the most misunderstood words in our common language is leader, leadership. Yeah. I mean, people have so many misconceptions. So give us um give us an, an example of 
organizations you've worked with. There's the remember this consultant saying, oh, I went into this group that was angry and depressed. When I left, I turned it around. They were depressed and angry. Now, that's not exactly <laughs> a success story, but you got a better one than that. What's what's your story? Uh, look, most definitely. Um, the story that most comes to mind for me is that I, I work with some prof, uh, not-for-profit organizations here in Australia who have very, very best intentions like so many others. Um, they are uh, in the not-for-profit school environment here in Australia. And what tends to happen here is that we have quite a few schools that are, are set up to deliver the curriculum and our state and federal governments provide grants and incentives and funding for those organisations to be able to deliver what they do. So those organisations need to have the infrastructure um, and then the government supports them in delivering the curriculum for that school environment. Uh, what it means is that these non-for-profit environments attract really well-meaning parents and really well-meaning community members to support the school in delivering their mandated outcomes. But what it also means is that these really well-intentioned individuals are actually handed hundreds of thousands of dollars, in fact, millions of dollars annually to um, run slash oversight and direct the school with the very, very best intentions. What I found though, to be quite frank with you here is it tends to, these environments tend to attract individuals that have a, a certain type of commercial skill set. And that is um, individuals that are used to playing with millions of dollars for construction and, and for uh, development type environments. They're not actually educators. And what can happen and what I've seen happen is that they lose sight of what the purpose of the organisation is and the mandate. So it's not actually about um, constructing new facilities um, and driving it like a commercial asset-based business. It really is about the education piece. Um, and unfortunately, they can lose their way. The biggest risk, of course, is in those environments is conflicts of interest because in the construction industry, especially when you run your own business, you can give the work to whoever you want and there isn't uh, effective oversight and decision-making around how do we spend this money? Because unfortunately, some of these boards forget that the money's not actually theirs. It's there on behalf of the children to deliver outcomes. Yeah, so what happens is that they're playing with the money like it's their own and they lose sight of the fact that it's actually, they're, they're really stewarding those dollars on behalf of the students in the, in the business. And they lose sight of that and end up spending dollars on things that don't align with the mandate of the organization. That's, we haven't really aligned with our values and corp, our principle, guiding principles and our core values. And, um, Absolutely. and boards should know better, but they really don't, do they? Look, look, they don't. And again, because they're wired, individuals on these, in these environments, in my experience, are wired with the very best intentions. So from where they're thinking, they're gonna get the best person for the job to achieve the outcomes that need to be achieved. And what they're forgetting is that there, there needs to be really great governing oversight where they're making sure that every decision and dollar counts and they're, um, you know, they're really getting value out of the money they're getting. And the only way they can do that is applying a really effective procurement framework that um, you know enables them to get quotes, to have rigor, and that, that doesn't involve 
conflicts of interest or any of those related party transactions because typically it's a family member that they refer the work on to and family members are not competing with for this work um, and the organization they're, just, they're doing a disservice to the organization because they're not able to demonstrate and governance is a show me not a tell me uh, it, it delivers show me's in the organizations not tell me's so when it comes time for auditors to step into those organizations from government to show me show me that you've used this money correctly in the way it was intended a lot of these um, boards and organizations are falling down and having their funding taken off them because they're just not able to demonstrate that the rigor and the governance and the oversight is where it needs to be you're so spot on funders want to know that you're good stewards of other people's money and that's that's you know that's really critical if you want to have recurring sustainable recurring funding um so talk about um what would an ideal nonprofit board look like oh great question great question so so typically um the the actual makeup of the board comes from members um the members actually vote and put these uh put these boards in place. In some organisations, the members are the board um, because they've only got a certain number of members and they have to fill these board seats. Um, ideally, these, board, these boards and the, the way the skill sets on these boards are actually predefined. And like many great um, concepts in organisations, typically you have a role that's been defined and then you find a great human to fill that role so they're delivering on the outcomes. In a lot of these board environments, you tend to have humans that happen to have certain types of skill sets and they kind of default into that place and space. So the first thing I'll say is that when you're creating these board environments, it's ideal to actually design what kind of skill sets, oversight skill sets you need for these board members. And I'll stress that again, oversight skill set, not doing skill sets. So you need people to have that experience and that knowledge, but you do not want them to feel as a subject matter expert that they're the only ones who can do it and therefore they're coming into the organization to do it as opposed to oversight it so that's the first thing design design the skill sets be really clear about that and the best way to do that you as you as you mentioned earlier is to for the organization to have a strategy those businesses need to have a strategy and know which direction they they're wanting to go to so that they can effectively have the right individuals on their board to support them in delivering and moving towards those, that strategic direction. So align your skill set needs on your board with your organizational strategy. That's the uh, the second thing I would uh, I would recommend. The third thing I would recommend is um, as part of your organizations or your you know your nonprofits board charter, have a um, a code of ethics or a code of conduct that recognises what kinds of uh, attributes, characteristics and behaviours you're actually expecting from your board members. And as part of that induction process, when you have new members that join the board, make sure they really get and understand um, what what's expected of them. Um, the other thing that I would do, if you do have the luxury of doing so, is recognizing whatever the values that the board, uh, that environment actually have predefined for their culture, find people that have exactly the same values or align with those values as closely as possible. 
And the reason for that, Hugh, is that a lot of organisations tend to um, bring people in without doing that assessment and then they spend all their time trying to realign individuals' personal values and it's really hard slog, Hugh. They spend more time managing people and behaviour than they do recognising that it would have taken less time to find people who actually had aligned values with the organisations in the first place. So a lot of information there, Hugh. <laughs> Critical information. And that last one, that's where we set up conflict because we haven't done the values alignment and then to find guiding principles of how we're going to use those values to make decisions together. So that's the heart of creating a culture. And everything you've talked about is spot on with what we, we teach at the Center Vision Leadership Foundation. So, um, so there's uh, you mentioned a governance ecosystem. It's it's really it's tied to the strategy. I want to go back to that. Highlight what you said there. The yeah. strategic plan is just not an exercise of writing a document, putting in a file drawer. It's there's so many um, organic parts of it that you use to run. The, it's it's a roadmap. So the I want to highlight what you said about the competencies. You, you want to do a certain kind of work, so you back up and say, here's the skill set we need for that. And then you look for somebody with skill set. Then, what you so brilliantly articulated, make sure that they have an alignment with your values and principles as you operate it. Did I hear you right? You most definitely did. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is uh, so that it's uh, you talk about a, an ecosystem is a, is a word you use. It's a so it's really it's like ensemble in, in, in a drama group or a music group. It's, it's, it's how we show up together as a culture, right? Absolutely. Look, it definitely is. And it aligns with the show me and the tell me and the thinking and the doing. And the reason why it does that, Hugh, is that each of these um, governing frameworks, uh, like whether they're managing risk or whether they're we're talking about procurement and how they make decisions around how they spend their money, each of these frameworks, if they're working well, actually really intertwine with each other because you're considering risk when you're making, making purchasing decisions. You're considering the delegations of authority and who can make what decision um, while uh, the procurement process is actually being applied. You're integrating strategy and risk because you want to understand as a board what risks are actually there that are potentially going to get in the way with us delivering our strategy. So each of these areas of focus, which I call, you know, governing frameworks, risk, procurement, st strategy, um, delegations of authority are all part of a big ecosystem. And when I say big, I mean big as in important, not as in big, cumbersome, red tape, oversight, kind of, you know, spend a lot of money running them kind of frameworks. But they're all there to really support the board in their oversight role and the outputs from each of these frameworks support them in undertaking effective, ethical, transparent decision-making. Ethical. Wow. Whoa. Ethical, transparent decision making. That is a great soundbite. Say it again. <laughs> They're all there to deliver ethical, transparent decision making. You know what? Um, in America, all of our 
information is public, you know, our, our financials and everything is public and being transparent is so important for anybody who wants to work with you, especially for funders. Oh, my, look, most definitely when you think about being a funder or being the recipient of a funder, you're actually playing with someone else's money. And those individuals or those organizations have this expectation that whatever you're doing with the money that we're providing you, regardless of whether you're a government funding or whether you're a in private individual or an angel investor or whatever else, there is an expectation that you have controlled managed environments and that you are using the money for the purpose that it was intended. And also that you have transparent ethical decision-making environments that have those show me's in place, not just the tell me's. And that's when, you know, auditors come in and whatever else, show me that you've used this money that we've provided to you in the way it was intended. Did you get value for money around decision-making? And how did that decision-making environment get fed all of the outcomes from the governance ecosystem? As a board, how did you use all those insights and those perspectives to make great, ethical, effective transparent decisions that deliver the organization towards their goals and that's what it really comes down to absolutely and this this this, this short interview today is a whole textbook on how you ought to, <laughs> ought to run your nonprofit. so in america yeah. we have some I, I get some regular responses from people in the in the category of what i feel are myths let me see you may not have these in australia but here's some of them what would be your response to some of these like oh I know there's strategy, but I don't have time to do it. My first initial immediate response is you're not the right person for that role in that environment. If you can't put the time and the energy in place to apply a board approved strategy around where the organization is and where it's going in the next five to 10 years, I highly recommend, I encourage you to, um, to step away and create space for someone else who has got time to do so. She speaks the truth with love. You know, good work. With love, with the very, very best intentions. Absolutely. And and it actually does come back to, really frankly, and we, you talked about it in our, in our intro, around heart-centered governing leadership. Yeah. You can be a governing leader, but with the very, very best intentions, heart-centered intentions. And it doesn't mean you're a pushover. It means that you have the real conversations. And that's an example of one here. With the utmost respect, thank you for your passion and your commitment to the organization but we need people who have the time to do it the way it needs to be done that aligns with our strategy. And that's what it really comes back to. Absolutely. And we don't want to have those honest, direct conversations, do we? Look, for some reason, a lot of us don't. And it, it does put individuals in a position and a place of vulnerability. Some of those conversations are hard. It's, it's, I find it really interesting because, you know, not telling the truth or omitting or not having that conversation to me is really unethical because you're actually doing the individual a disservice by not speaking the truth. Yet speaking the truth can be so hard. It really can be hard for individuals to have that real conversation and own their place and their space. So it's, yeah, I, I can appreciate that leaders can find it challenging. Great. So Lisa Coletta. Um, yeah. You have a website, and I'm going to people are watching the video. It's um, um, let me see. It's it's governancecollective.com.au. So when people right. people go there, what will they find? 
Well, they'll find a few things uh, on my website there, Hugh. Uh, first of all, you'll find a little bit of an overview of who I am and what we do here at the Governance Collective. You'll see also um, that on the main page, there's a, a list of our services that we provide in the org um, provide organisations. Um, we don't just play in the not-profit space. Uh, we do work with um, business owners who run their own businesses and, uh, and larger size organisations as well. Um, you'll also see there that we have a um, have some details around our approach and how we deliver really, really effective outcomes for organisations that align with the organisation's purpose and their goals. And a lot of that has to do with how the organisation performs, the organisation's culture and how the organisation wishes to, to grow and progress towards a strategic plan. So there's quite a lot of information there. You'll also see that there is a, uh, a free link there to schedule some time with me. So um, I encourage your listeners and your viewers, if you'd like a little bit of one-on-one -on -one time to unbundle and talk through uh, any of the concepts I've talked about today, they're very welcome to jump on and, and uh, get a free hour with me, a bit of a discovery call to talk through what they're currently experiencing. Give us the URL one more time www.governancecollective.com.au. Governance Collective is the name of the organization. And I'm sure you've determined and in this short interview that uh, Lisa Coletta really has experience to focus in on helping you upgrade your performance. So what's a, what's a, a thought you'd like to leave us with today? Um, a couple of things, I guess, really super quickly, Hugh. First of all, um, nonprofit organisations are incredibly important to the, the ecosystem of, of uh, countries. So thank you to all of those uh, who put their time and energy in to supporting nonprofits um, in your country. It's a really, really important function that you're undertaking. Um, the key takeaway for those of you that are undertaking those roles is that um, you may find that um, from the conversation we've had today, that the level you're playing at may need to actually lift. And the key word for me is perspective. That strategic governing oversight perspective is where you need to play. And I'm hoping we've provided some value in what that looks and feels like during our conversation, our discussion. You truly have. Lisa Coletta, Leadership Collective, thank you for being our guest on the Nonprofit Exchange today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's been an absolute joy. Thank you for listening to The Nonprofit Exchange. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.